0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of Heroic Purgatory, an Asian cinema podcast, a show where we discuss all things Asian cinema. My name is John, and with me is my co-host, Jason. Jason, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks, John. How are you? I'm pretty good. How, uh, how are you dealing with a lockdown situation over there in the UK?
1: Well, we've just come out of lockdown, and um, everybody's being encouraged to go back to work. But there are still flare-ups of COVID nineteen, so uh, you know it's still a bit dicey out there.
0: More or less the same in the U.S., except there's no encouragement to go back to work. I think Uh, it's it's everybody's aware here that it's just as bad as it was when it was April or May uh, or whatever the peak was of the pandemic. So not not looking great here either. I think (laughs) I have
1: a general feeling that um, governments have lost
0: control. Yes. Well, some governments are doing better than others. Noticeably in
1: Asia, governments such as Taiwan, um, Vietnam.
0: Yeah, and South Korea to a certain extent. Uh, Japan, not so much though, at least that, that seems to be uh, what I've heard.
1: Yeah, I think they had about seven weeks of lockdown. It was purely voluntary. There's no legal power to enforce it on the part of the government. So they asked businesses to cut hours or to close. And after that period... Um the government encouraged people to <laughs> travel. They launched a travel campaign called Go To Travel where people were encouraged to go to different prefectures to visit um holiday spots that had been hit by uh decline in numbers due to the lockdown. And um Tokyo, which has always been a hot spot, uh
0: numbers have been rising like uh quadruple digits recently. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think the the Prime Minister there was initially uh, trying to downplay it because of the Olympics. And then as soon as the Olympics were officially cancelled, they, uh, they started taking it more seriously.
1: Yeah, it was right up to the wire, right up until March, um, the end of March, when essentially the uh, International Olympic Committee forced the government's hand by saying that they wouldn't be able to hold the Olympics. And then the Japanese government, uh, led by uh, Shinzo Abe, decided to ask people to stop going out to initiate a sort of um, soft lockdown
0: yeah that's that's sort of uh, n- n- not not in terms of exact mirroring, but that's that's sort of how it, the, the feeling that I've gotten here from the us it seemed to uh, be different people took it with different degrees of seriousness and its just there wasn't a coordinated response to it.
1: The governor of Tokyo um, cannot remember her name uh, Koiki. Is her surname, but she's been very aggressive in dealing with this. As has the governor of Osaka. Her name's Ah Yuriko Kawiki, and um, because their two cities, their two regions have been hit the hardest, they've gone the furthest with implementing different rules uh, to prevent people congregating together uh, in confined spaces. Uh, so. That would include closing down um, pachinko parlours, uh, hostess bars, things like that. When the lockdown was lifted, of course, everybody went back to um, normal. People were encouraged to go back to work, to take trains where they're all going to be crammed in like sardines. And so the rates of transmission have increased. And the number of people coming down with COVID-19 has increased rather dramatically. And um, I get the sense that people in Japan have uh I feel like the government's given up but it's now a case of living with covid-19 rather than trying to control it isolate it um get rid of it
0: yeah that's um that that's definitely sad but hopefully i i i i was trying to think of a segue to transition from sad news to to something more pleasant, but I couldn't find, uh, I could figure out a smooth way to do this. So uh, we might as well just uh, move on and maybe talk a little bit about uh, our show and ourselves. This is not a so. This is the first episode of our podcast. So sort of our the little experiment that we're trying out. Uh, we're not going to be talking about any specific movies today, we're just going to introduce ourselves and what we're going to try to do, what, what we'll be trying to do with this show. So starting with that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your history with Asian cinema, Jason? Well, uh, well John, a segue
1: could be possible because um, if you're on lockdown, you can watch more movies. And with film festivals going online, this has been a pretty good opportunity, even though it's a pretty, uh,
0: I suppose, dangerous situation with a global pandemic. I'm always fascinated by people's answers to this. Have you been watching more movies, about the same or fewer movies, uh, during the lockdown? And not necessarily Asian movies, any, any, any kind of movies. Yeah, this has been a
1: really good opportunity to reacquaint myself with Hollywood cinema of the 80s and 90s, um, slasher movies, like the works of Werner Herzog. Because I've got a lot more time as a worker who's been furloughed, normally I would have to focus on Asian cinema. But now I can broaden out the titles that I watch. So yeah, it's covered things in Japan cuts and Nippon connection all the way through to like Slumber Party Massacre and um, Black Christmas.
0: Yeah, that, that's I find that's probably the most common answer for reasons that I can't explain. That hasn't happened with me. I'm watching more, more or less, about the same amount of cinema that I've been that would have without the pandemic. But what I have found myself doing is I've been watching a lot more TV. Not necessarily paying attention to them because I'm, I'm I'm I've been fortunate enough that I'm able to work from home, so I always leave something like Netflix or Hulu or some other streaming service playing some TV show uh, on the background. And sometimes I pay attention, sometimes I don't. But I found like after after a few months, I found myself holy hell, I've been watching a lot of TV lately, but not movies um, so much. Any, anyway, so uh, oh, we should also say for the audience that we both are contributors to the this cinema show website and you're also con- uh, you also do other stuff on the side but to go back to the question that i interrupted you from answering so what's your history with asian cinema
1: so yeah um right i live in the uk and um one of the great things about uh being in the uk is we've got access to a lot of foreign cinema art house cinemas even mainstream chains will Show French, Korean, Japanese films, and also the BBC and television stations like Channel 4. They'll also screen films from different countries. So, uh, when I was growing up, I was heavily influenced by Hong Kong cinema, works of Jackie Chan, like uh, Police Story and Armour of God, and anime as well, because that would be screened on Saturday morning television and uh, cable television. And I just got the bug for East Asian cinema that way. I was just curious about all of these interesting diverse stories um characters uh styles coming out of another part of the world so it became like an addiction almost where I had to seek it out um scan regular movie uh channels um scan BBC1 BBC2 BBC4 for uh, anything that was Japanese or Hong Kong or um Korean and I started collecting movies, DVDs, VHSs, then I started to write about it as a sort of hobby. That allowed me to um, gain access to sort of uh, the world of film festivals. I would um, pay for myself to go down to the London Film Festival or Raindance Film Festival to see independent cinema and uh, write about it. After a while, people started coming to me, asking me to write about things. And then I joined V Cinema as a contributor, and I've been doing that for about four or five years now.
0: You also have a, your own blog about Japanese cinema, right? How uh, how did you sort of uh, focus your your interest from Asian cinema in general to, to mostly Japanese cinema? So I started um, Genki
1: Nahito, That's the name of the blog uh, about ten years ago, and um, at first, it was just about movies and uh, anime and anything I found interesting. After a while of, of covering British independent movies or like um, Hollywood movies, anything from um, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans to Black Death, a really low-budget British film which you might not have heard of.
0: I don't think I have.
1: Yeah, it's got Sean Bean and, spoiler alert, he dies in it. <laughs> it's like... um. Set in the plague era, and he's on a mission to go find a woman who's a witch who claims to have a sort of cure for the plague. Bit of a strange thing to uh, watch during COVID-19. After a while, I started to write about film festivals just out of interest and to um, collate information about um, Japanese films, particularly independent cinema that were being screened at film festivals around the world. I don't think anybody else was doing it. Um, so I thought, oh, this would be useful for people who are really interested in Japanese films. And, uh, I just kept doing it over the years on my blog. Uh, and then I started to write about the latest Japanese cinema releases every weekend. Um, which is something I've kept up over, like, about seven or eight years. When I had the chance to live in Japan, I, um, attended, um, different film festivals and, um, got the opportunity to meet filmmakers as well and um i've been able to do that uh, at film festivals in the uk as well
0: yeah i have to say for for anyone who's interested in japanese cinema jason's blog is definitely something to check out it's probably one of the most thorough blogs of japanese film at least in english i can't i can't speak for anything in any other languages but that's it's It's really thorough especially the the updates uh the releases that you passed I, I didn't realize it was every week i didn't keep track of that but they're very informative a lot of these
1: films might not make it outside of japan but um when they do it's useful for people to have that information at their hands even if it's just a cast list and um sort of filmography for a director and a trailer that they can go to. And like if you have the title in English or Romaji, uh, which is sort of like a transliteration of Japanese, uh, yes, it can become a useful resource if you're interested in Japanese cinema.
0: Absolutely. And, and even though you know, a lot of them don't make it theatrically, but DVD or home video releases are not that hard to find eventually, especially now with digital distribution being what it is yeah like with film labels
1: like uh well go usa third windows films uh terracotta um back in the past it was uh tartan um they've broadened the um sort of landscape in terms of uh cinema by bringing in lots of asian titles from uh starting with asia extreme in the late 90s and early 2000s all the way through to like quirky independent films that third windows films might release
0: all right. So to answer my own question, my history with Asian cinema is not as impressive as Jason's. As I was thinking about this last night, I was trying to remember how exactly it started. I sort of I remembered something I had completely forgotten. I'm, I live in the U.S. now, but I'm not from the U.S. I grew up in Eastern Europe, where, unlike the U.K., the availability is nowhere near as as good. But we had, when I was growing up, a little before the internet, we had this uh, movie channel um, that showed only action films showed nothing but action films and the majority was 80s hollywood movies but in the mix there were also uh, hong kong action films that that they showed a lot on that channel and i remember even at that time when i was quite young i remember thinking there's something different about these movies there were a lot of a lot of jackie chan movies but also there were a lot of sama hong movies and other people whose name I don't really know or remember because, again, this was before the internet. So there was no way of me looking up more information about it. It was just, it showed on TV. After that, it was gone. And I, it was just, all I had was my memories of the film. But that sort of made me. made me remember those that made those movies stuck to me because they were fundamentally different. And it's not just the martial arts, just the way the action was, the, the speed, the dynamism, and general the energy that those movies had distinguished them from Hollywood. So that was kind of how I started. And I those initial experiences with Hong Kong cinema made me keep an eye, an eye out for more Asian cinema. Because, again, me being naive, I didn't necessarily make the appropriate distinguishing between what's Hong Kong and what might be Japanese or what might be Chinese and things like that. To me, it was just all Asian cinema uh, at the time. So at this time, I was still a a casual movie fan. Uh, Later on, I was introduced to South Korean cinema uh, with, with the movie Old Boy, which kind of completely turned me around. And I think it's the movie that really made me take not only Asian cinema, but just cinema in general, maybe take it seriously. To use the word cinephile, that, that's the movie that may be a cinephile. And sort of that maybe hardcore follow any, any first, any South Korean movie that I could get my hands on at the time. And after that, I also expand into uh, other Asian uh, cinema beyond just action movies. So I looked up the filmography of Wong Kar-wai, for example, or Zhang Yimou in China. And then from there, I branched into Japanese cinema, I even started writing about it in a blog, but that blog never just made it too far. Mostly because then I started school and life got in the way, and I just didn't didn't have the time anymore. And over the years, so my my interest in in Asian cinema varied a little bit. Then it it started declining because again life got in the way. Uh, until I saw the opportunity to start writing for V Cinema, and I saw that as an opportunity to rekindle my interest in Asian movies and sort of I. I saw their call for writers. I I wrote to them and then I started writing reviews for them and that sort of that was my way of getting back into it, trying to go back into my admiration and my my love for Asian cinema. And that's and then this podcast is more or less a continuation of that. I'm I'm still trying to go back to to really watching and thinking and even writing about Asian cinema as I did before I I before I decided to stop for whatever reason.
1: So, when you first started
0: watching Asian cinema, was it as uh, a child, a teenager? I, I must have been about 10 years old, something around that age. Okay. And um, I suppose like the things we discover early in our life
1: come to define us, and that's what I found with Asian cinema. It's something I grew up with, especially during my teenage years when uh, I, I too started watching Wong Kar movies, and it's just not left me it's something i want to do uh writing about it immersing myself in the world telling people about it it's something i want to do not as a job or anything uh, but it's, it's a passion
0: yeah absolutely i feel the same way and uh to make it even more impressionable, I, I discovered Wong y uh when I was in high school. And of course, most of his movies are love stories. So they really appeal to me at that time when you're uh, very uh, full of hormones and <laughs> have little else in mind. Yeah, experiencing those emotions for the first time. Oh, exactly. So the, the teenage angst was firing at all cylinders. Yeah, and it feels like Hollywood,
1: which usually follows a, a staid formula. Just doesn't ha- quite have that magic.
0: Absolutely, and that's that's sort of even even at ten years old, ten or eleven, I don't remember exactly. But uh, there was uh, there was you could you could see the Hollywood formula. Like I said, I watched a lot of Hollywood action ma- movies, and then those were paired occasionally with uh, Hong Kong action movies, and you could you could easily see the difference. You could easily see that the Hong Kong action cinema did not necessarily follow any kind of formula. There were a lot more Gonzo, a lot more i'm um, i'm not sure what uh, what another word word to describe it would be but there were a lot more free form there was a lot of stunts that seemed to be the only constant that they every every few scenes or every few minutes of screen time there had to be an impressive stunt but otherwise anything could happen uh, in between between the stunts whereas hollywood was a lot more you know what's going to happen the action here is going to do this and then he's going to be in trouble for a little bit and then he's going to get out of trouble and then eventually he's going to defeat the bad guys and that's more or less every every Hollywood action movies, at least the ones that I watched at the time.
1: Yeah, there is like um, a specific formula, like Robert McKee's books about screenwriting, everybody uh, read it and started making scripts and studios would always go towards the most profitable stories. Whereas with Asian cinema, it seemed from an outsider's perspective, uh, more auteur driven. So like uh, creative could be, much more, um, I suppose, individualistic. How long that would last is another matter entirely because uh, people like Sage and Suzuki ended up <laughs> getting fired from studios.
0: Absolutely. But I still think it's a miracle that he was able to make so many movies while being the whole time in trouble with the studios. Yeah, it was a complete uh, sort of reaction
1: to the sort of um, boilerplate stories, the standard uh, stories he was getting. Just pump up the style if the story isn't so interesting.
0: All right. So now the events are that, I guess it might be interesting to just spend a few minutes talking about what your favorite directors are or actors or, you know, just favorite personalities of Asian cinema. I suppose if I had to pick a favorite director,
1: well, there would be two directors. First one is Kyoshi Kurosawa. And I, I first came to him uh, in the latter years of high school. And it was through his supernatural movies, things like uh, Cure, Charisma, and Pulse. And uh, the reason is because I have an interest in the supernatural, thanks to my mother. (laughs) And um, yeah, again, it's kind of like he made those movies when he was sort of an outsider in Japanese cinema, like after Sweet Home. He was blackballed from the industry because there was a conflict of uh, interests over who controlled the movie *Sweet Home* with uh, Juzo Itami, who was like a big director in Japan at the time. And so the films Kurosawa made very unique, very driven by his own personal drama. It seems uh, as he tried to get back into the industry. Uh, they're always about outsiders in society and the pressure they're under to conform, and um, like the uh, gradual sort of explosion when they don't conform and the eventual sort of decay of society. So I was really interested in films with storylines like that, because I guess I was trying to find my own place in society as well. So existential dramas. So Cure, Charisma, Pulse, as I've mentioned earlier, License
0: to Live, and Tokyo
1: Sonata, two really good dramas.
0: That was my introduction to him, Tokyo Sonata. I had avoided Kiyoshi Kurosawa because I knew him mostly as a horror director. And um, horror is a genre that I don't dislike, but it's not one that I am very familiar with. So generally when I'm, when I encounter directors that they're known mostly for horror, they're not ones that I tend to follow very well. Although that's, that probably should change. But when I saw Tokyo Sonata, I was very impressed. So I try to seek out some of his earlier films. Did you watch, uh, Cure or Charisma or Pulse? I think Cure is the only one that I've seen of his, I'm, I, at least from what I remember. I think I've seen Tokyo Snowden, I think Cure, and I don't think I've seen Charisma.
1: don't know if Charisma is available in the West, but definitely Pulse and Cure. Actually, Pulse was given a couple of American remakes. But yeah, in recent years, he's veered between sort of dramas and the occasional supernatural story even an uh, alien invasion story before we vanish uh he teaches at tokyo university of the arts so he's become a bit of i don't want to say an establishment figure but <laughs> he's a major pillar of the japanese film industry after that period of being blackballed he's one of the um they call him the four k's four top Japanese directors who are always in film festivals around the world, as Kyoshi Kurosawa, Takeshi Kitano, Naomi Kawase, and um, Hirokazu Koreida. And uh, Kurosawa is one of them. Actually, right now, he's got a film called Wife of a Spy, which is
0: going to be at the Venice International Film Festival. I've also seen Before We Vanished. Sorry to interrupt you again, but I, that's that's one I've forgotten. I've seen, that's a science fiction flick, right? About uh, aliens invading something. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that one too. I, I, I was impressed by it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as Cure or Tokyo Sonata, but it was, it was an interesting film.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's really, it's a quiet sort of apocalypse, and that's Kurosawa's style, really. It's not loud. It's more contemplative, and it's more about the mood and the viewers rewarded for searching the screen, watching the actors and they're blocking L- lots of little details which will clue you in as to where the story is going. not so much in terms no, not much in terms of jump scares
0: or blood and guts. It's definitely psychological end of the horror spectrum. And that, that's what sort of surprised me a lot about Cure. It was not the film at all that I expect. For some reason I expected it to be a lot like uh, Siono Sono's suicide squad and it was not at all like that. It was it was very slow, methodical, and psychological.
1: Suicide Club, yeah. That one <laughs> opens with
0: a bunch of schoolgirls jumping onto a train track. I don't think you
1: can get any more dramatic than that. Sion Sono is very operatic in style, but again, he's very much interested in existential questions and how the individual fits into Japanese society. And a lot of his um, more recent works have a sort of feminist streak. But... In terms of uh another filmmaker I like, uh Miwa Nishikawa. She's someone I came to about four or five years ago. And um she's made the films Wild Berries, Sway, Dear Doctor, Dreams for Sale, and her last one was The Long Excuse. She's got one at the Toronto International Festival Film Festival coming up called Under the Open Sky. And the reason I like Miwa Nishikawa is because Her drama's very, a very humanist, sort of pessimistic even. They have, they typically have male characters who (laughs) are very, I don't want to say unlikable, but they have negative qualities which are explored in the movies. And I find that interesting because um, I feel like these male characters are very real. You can, I I can identify them in some way. I could see them in my everyday life, Uh, even parts of me are like them.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, this she's not a. Is is it a she? Am I right? Mm. Miwa Nishikawa
1: is a, a woman, a lady, and she's like um, a protege of uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, or maybe like a collaborator. Uh, she's worked as and she's worked on some of his films, and uh, he's worked on some of hers as a producer.
0: Yeah, she's not. She's not a. I can't say that I'm very familiar with her work. I'm. I'm fairly certain I might have seen a trailer or a clip of Sway because it sounds and looks very familiar as I'm looking at images right now, but I don't think I've seen any one of her films. It's sort of like Japan's, Japan has a lot of
1: female directors and Miwa Nishikawa is sort of top of the list up there with Naomi Kawase, but she still isn't well known. I think that's about to change. Um, In recent years with, Um, The Long Excuse in 2017 and this year with Under the Open Sky, they've gotten a lot more interest from international critics and audiences.
0: And her films are certainly, you know, something that we could explore in this podcast. We can mention this, but part of it, part of our goal is to try and bring people who might not necessarily be familiar with with Asian cinema or, or particular aspects of Asian cinema and try to give them material that they can, explore and become more familiar with it yeah
1: that's one of the things that I wanted to do with my blog like one of my goals when I first started it was just to um, start conversations with people about Asian cinema and to alert people to all of these great titles which uh, you may not get the chance to see or get lost in the noise because there are so many films released like a film festival may have a hundred films and they may have a sidebar for Asian cinema but your attention may be caught up with American or French cinema. If there are sources out here like the cinema, like this podcast, like your blog, like my blog, we can guide people to these stories, uh, which can enrich
0: lives. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of, that's, that, that was my number one goal with this. Okay. So uh, I should also, we should also pre- preface your answer or, uh, Give a little context that you're mostly familiar with Japanese cinema, correct? Or that's that's your focus?
1: Yeah, that's my focus. I cover Korean, Hong Kong. Uh, I used to cover French cinema as well, but uh, I've decided to focus on Japanese cinema. I traveled to Japan and um, I tried to go to film festivals. Uh,
0: I actually work for a couple of film festivals and like, an animation festival as well. Yes. Would you like to, to say the name of the animation festival?
1: So, the Kotatsu Japanese Animation Festival. And it's been going for about 10 years. This year, due to COVID-19, we've decided to have um, two online um, festivals. So, there'll be their streams, free streams, where people can watch a diverse range of animation. So, they're usually a mixture of uh, stop-motion and 2D shorts, uh features, and uh we recently had a stream dedicated to
0: female filmmakers, uh, in the stop motion world. I remember seeing something about that on either on your blog or on your Twitter feed.
1: Yeah. It's well it was at the end of July, um two streams on one day, and people could see Stop-motion works by uh, Arisa Wakami, Miho Yata, and uh, students of Tokyo University Arts, Um, just like Fusako Yusaki as well, a veteran. So we tried to give a range of voices, like airtime, I suppose you could say, so people could discover new directors. Especially when it comes to female directors, in animation it tends to be dominated by men. And 2D animation tends to take precedence over everything. So this was a great opportunity to introduce stop-motion works and uh, female voices.
0: Uh, yeah, everybody should check out the, the website of the Kotatsu. Did I say that right? Kotatsu? <laughs> yeah, Kotatsu. Uh, Kotatsu Japanese Animation Festival. Yeah, it's likely by the time we put this online, it will probably have ended if it hasn't already.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you can watch the stream throughout all of August and we hope to have another stream later in the year, so if you stay tuned to our SNS channels, uh, Twitter especially, uh, you can uh, find out more.
0: Alright, that's great. Uh, so I asked Jason about his favorite directors. I'm going to Briefly, give mine. I couldn't. Uh, I feel. I feel like I've cheated because I couldn't confine myself to one or two. I had to write down a whole list. And it's. You. Know, to be honest, it is an unfair question. You know, what's your single one or two favorite directors? But uh, whereas Jason's focus lies mostly in Japanese cinema, I think mine is is a little more concentrated on South Korean cinema. That's what I've watched the most. That's what I've read about the most. Or or wrote about have written about the most, and then followed maybe equally by Japanese and Hong Kong cinema. But if I had to give my favorite South Korean director, some of the notable names would be Kim Ki-duk, uh, who I think unlike unlike some of the bigger names, he doesn't get a lot of attention in the West. Recently, he's gotten in trouble uh, for uh, as as part of the meet of the of the South Korean Me Too movement, and I, I haven't read a lot of in detail, but uh, he's. Known for seriously abusing his actors and i, I don 't know if that bu- if I, if that abuse is gender based or if he equally abuses all his actor but he's sort of he's sort of the stereotypical mad genius kind of thing that that won't stop at nothing to get the film that he wants and I certainly don't condone whatever he may be guilty of, but uh, i can't deny that I really really Enjoy his movies and uh, his particularly his particular style of filmmaking, which is very it's very idiosyncratic. It's very unique. He has his own shooting style and the way he crafts his stories and the way he shoots them and and the way he 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 develops his characters. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Jason.
1: Yeah, I've watched a lot of his works: Samaritan Girl, Spring, Summer, Autumn, Winter, Spring, and Free Iron. This was back when I was still in high school slash university, just entering university. And yeah, even back then, um, <laughs> there were sort of news reports about him abusing actresses and uh, people almost dying on sets.
0: Yes, there was something like, I don't want to look it up right now, but if memory serves, he was supposed to shoot a hanging scene scene. And he demanded that the actors actually hang for a few seconds so he can get it on camera, and that went wrong or something like that. Maybe I'm I'm missing off a few details. I should pro- probably look this up, but yeah, it's okay, I guess. I think he last
1: made a film was it in 2017, and it was shot in Japan.
0: Uh, that's possible. He his last film that I've seen, and this is part of me trailing off and and s- not following Asian cinema anymore because of. Uh, other aspects of my life getting a bit busier, but I, the last film I saw of him was the one that won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, uh, Pietà, which was a very interesting film. I don't think it's his best film. I think it's maybe his fourth or fifth best film. I think it's somewhere in the middle of his filmography, but it was a very interesting film too. But that's that's the last of him I've seen, and I should probably go back and check out some of his uh, works after that to see how his career responded to him winning one of the most prestigious Awards in film history. All right. So after after that, I would say uh, so. Kim Ki Duk is probably uh, one of my favorite South Korean directors. I'm quite fond of Lee Chang Dong and Park Chan Wook and Kim uh, Kim Ji Woon. Park Chan Wook is obviously the, the director of Old Boy. I haven't been impressed by his latest work. I think that includes his American film that he made in uh, 2013. Yeah, Stalker. Stalker. Yes. Um, I thought I thought that was an interesting film. I've, I've been using the word "interesting" a lot, but uh, I, that's that's the best that I could say about that film. I, I didn't enjoy it that much, and I didn't I didn't enjoy The Handmaiden a lot. I thought I thought it was a better film than his American one, uh, but I, I was not compared to some of his earlier work like JSA and uh, the Vengeance trilogy, and even uh, his weird. Uh, I'm a cyborg, but that's okay. I thought I thought that was a a, a great film in its own. A peculiar way, but the handmaiding struck me as maybe too conventional, even though the subject matter was wasn't so conventional for Korean audiences. I think for me i didn't i didn't I didn't care for it that much, yeah, it's based on an English novel as yeah. uh, the fingersmith is it called? yes yes,
1: yeah, I share your sentiments like early on um in his career sort of like joint security area the Vengeance trilogy that was an incredible run of films and uh, his latest output
0: hasn't quite caught my imagination. Yes, and he, he directed a TV mini series which has received some positive reviews, but I have not had a chance to look at that yet. I'm, I might eventually some sometime in the near future. Of course, now in the news, Boong Yoon- ho is probably the most famous South Korean director, director because of his uh, movie Parasite winning the Oscar. And I of course, I like a lot of his films too, or I like The more correct way to say it is I like a few of his films a lot, but I don't necessarily like his entire filmography that much. And that includes Parasite. I thought Parasite was a great film, but I don't think it's his best work uh, or even his second best work. I think it's, it's maybe third or fourth in his filmography.
1: Yeah, Memories of
0: Murder and Mother, two incredible films. And I really enjoyed Parasite's. Yes, I, I enjoyed Parasite too. I don't want to. I don't want to come off as though I didn't like it. I just. I guess his style of film, filmmaking is not. It doesn't impress me as much. Even though I think Memories of Murder is a masterpiece, but The Host uh, or Okja or uh, what's the one on the train? Oh, um, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. I, those were very subpar, in my opinion. A lot of people enjoyed Okja, or at least a lot. Of, it got a lot of positive reviews, and it's not a bad film by any means. It's just it didn't stand out that much for me. These two directors
1: were actually featured in cinemas across the world, so they sort of leading that
0: Korean wave. Who are you referring to? Uh, Park Chang-wook and Bong Joon-ho. And I would add Kim Ji-woon to that. He also has done some some films that are very notable in the West, like A Tale of Two Sisters and um, uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. A Bittersweet Life. A Bittersweet Life, yeah, that too. Uh, And of course, he also did a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which... uh, immediately makes it amazing in my book <laughs> even though <laughs> even though the film was not that great just the fact that he and arnold Schwarzenegger paired up i just think that's a small miracle in itself yeah sometimes i forget about that film it also has um johnny knoxville right yes which is he is completely unnecessary to the film in my opinion but he, he's, he's he's a fun little addition if i had to if i had to venture outside south korean cinema i would say won kar wai and stephen stephen Chow. Are, are two that I like so much. Stephen Chow is, is more of a comedic actor, kind of like Jackie Chan. He does he hasn't directed all his films, but even the films that he doesn't direct are for a lot more or less the same style. Just like Jackie Chan, like whether or not Jackie Chan directs his own film, it's still a Jackie Chan movie and it has all the same landmarks or or features that a Jackie Chan film would have. Uh, and then on the Japanese fraud, I'm 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 really fond of Kinji Fukasaku. The answer to what's your favorite director of all time depends on my mood at the time that I'm giving the answer. But I say Kinji Fukasaku may very well be my favorite director of all nationalities and of all time. I'm I really admire him. And then after that, I like Masaki Kobayashi. I like Takeshi Kitano. Uh, I like Sono Sion pre 2011. I really like his <laughs> filmography before 2011. After 2011, he he has some notable pieces, but it's just I I haven't I haven't liked much of what he what I've seen from him. And granted, full admission, I haven't seen everything that he's done after 2011. And then this last director that I'm going to mention is one that I've seen only a couple of films from, mostly due to circumstance. I've just haven't gotten around to it, but I've really been impressed by what I've seen. And his name is Shunji Y. Okay, so like um, Swallowtail Butterfly. Yeah, Soul Tale, Butterfly, Love Letter, and um, All About Lily Chu. Uh, yeah, uh, and he's done. He, he has a, still a lot of films that that I haven't seen of his, but it's just the ones that I've seen have really left an impression on me. Are just even even Love Letter, which on paper sounds like a very conventional, just romantic drama about someone who's lost their fiance. Just the way the way that film is presented, it's it, it separates itself from from many other of the same many other films of the same genre so it's it's someone that i'd like to explore more
1: yeah i suppose if i could add something additionally to this like favorite director if i had to define it it would be someone whose works i can watch again and again and i enjoy if not all of them then most of them and definitely kiyoshi kurosawa and miwa nishikawa one and i'd like to add um takashi miike as well <laughs> I never get tired of these four filmmakers.
0: I sort of suspected uh, that Takashi Miike would be someone you enjoy. And I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get to some of our discussion because Takashi Miike is a director that I don't really like that much. Uh, okay. And I know I'm, I know I'm, I'm somewhat alone in that respect. Heresy. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm fully ready to admit that it's a subjective thing, that I'm not, I, I wouldn't claim that because of that, I think he's an objectively bad director, but he's just someone that I could never, could never appreciate. And that could be my, that could be related to my distance from horror movies uh, and directors who predominantly do horror movies, although he's not like that. He's, he's a very diverse director. He's just in the West. His horror films have gotten more attention.
1: Yeah, like Audition is the one he's probably best known for, but he's made a wide variety of films. And you should check out, if you like Kinji Fukusaku, you should check out um, some of Takashi Miike's updates of uh his movies and uh, some of Takashi Miike's uh, own gangster movies, like the Dead or Alive trilogy. Maybe a bit too gonzo Uh, just to go back to a word you used earlier a bit too crazy
0: but yeah definitely check those out i am not particularly keen on movies that where the style stands out over content and the style is not in the service of content but it has a life of its own and sort of that's that's how i've perceived takashi miike his style is dominates over the whatever story he's trying to tell and there are like like i mentioned kim ki duke he has a very uh, style that stands out but i've i've always felt that his style is always in the service of the story that he's trying to tell whereas that's not the case for takashmi at least that's not how i see it i um, i could be completely wrong about that but it would be interesting to discuss any of his movies and sort of maybe you'll convince me of trying to appreciate him more
1: oh well, yeah it sounds like it could be a uh... Interesting uh, exploration. Uh, this is what the podcast
0: will hopefully uh, do, and will
1: introduce people to.
0: Worst case scenario will just be a shouting match with us telling each other that you're wrong. <laughs> I'm too polite. <laughs> okay, so would you? Do you have anything else to add about the directors that I mentioned, or the directors that you mentioned? Uh, no. I those are the directors I most often
1: go back to. One of the aims I want to do with my blog. Is to sort of introduce people to independent films as well. So I'm always trying to find new directors. Hopefully, we get the chance to talk about new releases at some point, but that I guess that'll be further down the line.
0: Yeah, that, that's certainly something that are going to do, and that's that's something that I'm uh, I'm guilty of in my viewing experience. I don't I'm I'm not very good at seeking out new directors. I tend to uh Stick with the ones I know, and usually think, okay, there's this. How many movies of this director's? I of this director I haven't seen yet. I'll go track down those movies instead of trying to seek out new directors. So that's that's something that I'm looking forward to being introduced to directors that I've never heard of or or that I've heard of, but I haven't seen any of their movies. Well, I'm looking forward to uh,
1: talking with you about them.
0: So uh, and as we should do I mean we're already at about 50 minutes of recording but we should briefly talk about what the what this podcast podcast is about and what we'll be trying to do so generally our goal will be to discuss one movie per episode uh, we haven't decided yet exactly what movies w- will be, but and and how exactly what we'll talk about them. But it'll be a a, a casual discussion. We'll talk about maybe production here, uh, history, critical reception, who's in it, our impressions of the movie, and and things uh, along that nature. And what are the merits of the movie, or what are the faults of the film? Uh, my idea is to structure the the show in seasons, and each season will be themed. Uh, will be centered around a theme and all the movies in that season will sort of have a connection to whatever theme we decide to pick in. And um, the uh, the theme for season one was at least, and this is still tentative, it could change, but what we're thinking right now is to do, to do a season about getaway movies or movies that are great to introduce a Western viewer who is not aware of Asian cinema to Asian cinema. So sort of ease them into the world of Asian cinema without... Scaring them off or really throwing them into the deep end of the pool, I
1: think that sounds like the best way to introduce Asian movies because um the reason why I suppose we would describe them as gateway movies is because they had that effect on us when we were growing up, and these are probably the films that we we recommend to people in our everyday life, and we want to get them to sort of broaden their uh, cinematic palettes. And there are
0: so many great movies out there that it would
1: <laughs> it would be a disservice if we didn't talk about it.
0: All right. So I think that said, this is a very introductory, uh, this was an introductory episode. It lasted longer than we intended to, but it was, I, I enjoyed the conversation. I did too. Thank you. Uh, before we go, and we've already alluded to this multiple times, but if you had to sort of pinpoint one thing that you're trying to get out of this, of doing this podcast, what what would it be? I suppose it's just to help raise awareness of Asian cinema, maybe just maybe broaden
1: uh, the way I can reach people as well. Uh, I've done a couple of podcasts before, and it's something I wish I'd kept up in the past, but um, let fall to the wayside. Uh, So yeah, this will be a a new style for me. And hopefully, you know, there are so many films out there that I want to talk about, and um, being able to have a conversation with you about them is a great way to talk about them.
0: (laughs) My answer would be more or less the same to raise awareness about Asian cinema, introduce people to new Asian films, or maybe say something new about the films they're already familiar with, but they haven't thought uh, about them in a, in a certain way that we might be able to get out of our discussion. Uh, But I also have a, a more selfish reason, reason just like I alluded, it's just a way for me to maybe keep up with Asian cinema and, uh, get out of my comfort zone of of the movies that i that i like and i keep watching and maybe get introduced to uh, to some new films as the examples that you already mentioned
1: yeah this will be the best opportunity to do it and uh, i feel the same way
0: in that regard all right thank you everyone for listening this is it for our introductory podcast our introductory episode to the heroic purgatory asian cinema podcast we haven't decided yet what our first movie will be but uh hopefully we'll do that soon and then we'll have episode one this is episode zero so we'll have episode one maybe uh one or two weeks after this airs thank you very much uh jason is there anything you'd like to plug before we close the episode just keep following uh
1: the podcast please uh yeah feel free to visit our blogs and uh yeah uh keep watching asian cinema